Welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. When women lead, share performance and profits go up 50%. Results are more powerful when everyone is empowered. This is the insight that brought the four founders of Beyond Barriers together. We came from a diverse set of leadership backgrounds with a common goal to close the gender gap at work and expand economic opportunities for everyone. Tune in each week as one of us interviews inspiring guests who share stories and cutting edge strategies that will help you learn what helped them go further faster. Hello and welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. I'm Nikki Barua, your host for this episode. Our guest today is Naz Vahid, head of City Global Wealth at Work. Naz Vahid leads her life with gratitude. She escaped Iran as a young girl and it shaped who she became. She adapted to her new life in America by putting effort into everything and never taking anything for granted. Taking on responsibilities at an early age taught her important life skills all of which has served her professionally. Throughout her career, Naz has taken on a variety of roles and increasingly bigger responsibilities by always learning and growing. Naz shares how listening to feedback, avoiding complacency, and building great relationships helped her achieve her ambitions. She believes that we elevate others by elevating ourselves. When it comes to social issues in the workplace, Nas thinks it's important that we get uncomfortable and show our authenticity. She recognizes that it is harder for women and minorities to navigate their careers and is determined to make it easier for the younger generations. Visit GoBeyondBarriers.com where you'll find show notes and links to all the resources in this episode, including the best way to get in touch with Nas. Hi, Nas. Welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. I'm so thrilled to have you here today. I am excited to be here, Nikki, very much so. so. Yeah. Well, you have uh, such an incredible career journey and life story as well. So I'm very excited for our audience to uh, learn from that, to be inspired by all of the things uh, you've overcome and you've achieved. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot of actionable strategies in today's conversation. But I want to start with uh, the 50,000 foot level. Mm-hmm. If you, um, as you look back to your life and career journey, what is the through line? What is that one thing that uh, your journey has taught you? Um, I think I no longer take anything in life for granted. I uh, came mm-hmm. to the United States as an immigrant, I was a complete um, change of lifestyle for me. It was because of a revolution, not an expected uh, situation. So went from a very comfortable life to a very uncomfortable life in every sense of the word. Mm-hmm. But I also got freedom and ability to succeed. And um, what I have learned is you can't take comfort or what you have for granted. You can't take liberty for granted. You can't take opportunity for granted so I um but I also believe that that has helped me appreciate everything a lot more in my life everything that happens to me I just tend to appreciate it in a much deeper way I believe that I would have if these things were not in my life in the past that's such a powerful attitude and perspective because the fact that uh you don't take things for granted is also the very reason you have so much gratitude for what you have. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a little bit about your immigrant journey. You know, what, what was that like? Um, and I can relate as an immigrant myself. I read uh, your book. Was- I know. <laughs> <laughs> what was so. that like in those early days? And uh, what, what was the motivation to come here and, and to build a life here? Um, look, I was almost 16 and the Iranian revolution happened and I'm a minority religion on the Baha'i and uh, they were being persecuted in Iran very quickly and there still are. And very quickly we figured out that for my brother and I to have a real life ability to get educated and all of that, we had to be outside of the country. Um, I would say within from 1978 to 1979, my life completely changed. And then mm-hmm. we left my parents as a um, almost 16-year-old and 13-year-old and came to live with an uncle and aunt who were wonderful but didn't have children. So all mm-hmm. of a sudden, there was these two teenagers kind of dropped on them. And if you ever had teenagers, that's not an easy thing. I've gone through those ages. So look, I, um, I came in 
new English, like we all learn another language in school, but you really don't speak it. So you actually have to speak it every single day. Mm -hmm. And um, I came in from a very comfortable lifestyle to where all of a sudden money was nothing I could take for granted. Um, I went from being driven to school to having to work in a laundromat to have enough money to go to Burger King with my friends mm -hmm. in the afternoon. So, you know, it, it was a big defining moment in before and after. Uh, coming here was so that um, I could go to school. Baha'i kids mm -hmm. couldn't go and get higher education. We kind of could see the writing on the wall. And um, coming here with no language, when the Iranian revolution had happened, and anybody who's old enough remembers the uh, hostage crisis, yeah. and... Um, here we were, people who were running away from a government, um, and yet from the United States perspective, we were the enemy. And so mm -hmm. I was going to, in a, uh, to a school where people were looking at me as if I was the terrorist rather than yeah. I was the um, victim of what was happening. Mm -hmm. So all of that was honestly very, very hard to understand, grab, and appreciate at that point. But looking back at it, I can't ask for a better um, chance to get life started again. I appreciate it. Um, not to talk too much about it, but I have to tell you, when I was uh, came here, I was in high school, and I had an English as second language teacher. And the way she believed in me and my life and my opportunity uh, for betterment in terms mm -hmm. of Everything that I wanted has been a um, light throughout my life. Uh, she's no longer mm -hmm. alive, but I think she changed my life. She changed my brother's life. And that is an impact that a human being can have on people's lives. And generations after that, I've never forgotten that either. So, Wow, there's so much packed in what you just shared and that transformational experience. Um, you know, you... you came to the United States as a teenager that leaving your parents, you know, uh, the comfort of your home and being close to your parents. Um, and also under the circumstances where you're not accepted um, mm -hmm. and, and the outsider insider dynamic, how did that impact your identity? Uh, because those are such formative years, right? For right. anyone in their lives, especially in the teenagers. How did that shift your identity or form your identity? You know, in some ways, I think it helped me build it, honestly, because mm. I had to reform the way I saw my life. Um, mm. You know, it, I had to understand where people in the United States were seeing me and why they were seeing me and accept why they were hearing the message of the Iranian population, what was happening and using it against me. And then trying to, I'm looking at the sign behind you, break the barriers that was between us in that, mm -hmm. um, in that situation, right? Whether it was in high school, uh, I had to learn English and I mm -hmm. had to learn it in a way that a 16-year-old has to learn it, not just the um, education you get in books, but the way you actually talk to friends mm -hmm. um, and make friends. Do you know how hard it is to be 16 yeah. not have friends um, yeah. and try to rebuild that? And then also I had to be an example for my younger brother and almost take on this older sibling um, status of making sure I'm there for him and help him through all of that. All of those actually made me a lot more responsible, I think, as an individual in a weird way, made me um, become the older child much faster than I probably mm. would have in a normal life uh, that I have lived. And um, in an almost wonderful way, as I was said before, um, not to take anything that life has given me ever for granted throughout those times in life. Yeah. Wow. It's... Uh it goes so much beyond survival of really, mm -hmm. you know, finding connection and building bridges all around, right. you know, because you right. realize you have to do it on your own. So along, you know, from that point on, as you explore career paths, how did you find your way into the industry you're in? You know, what was, was there a person or an inspiration or a moment that kind of got you thinking yeah. about it so look this esl teacher that i was mentioning to you uh 
my uncle, wonderful man, but he thought that I should just go to a secretarial school, get a degree, become a wife, have children. You know, he had this set mm-hmm. of thoughts that I had. Mm-hmm. And she said to me, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to become a journalist. And she yeah. said, um, well, you know, um, that's great. Let's look for schools that you would um, qualify for. I went to the guidance counselor and he kept on pushing me to these two-year schools. And she said, no, no, no. I believe she can go to a really good school. She took me to her daughter's school, upstate New York, um, uh, William Smith College, made me learn what I could do, helped me get a scholarship. I got into a school and I really was going to become a journalist, to be completely honest. I was going to take psychology and English and learn the language mm-hmm. and become, um, I always used to look at Oriana Falanchi and see I'm going to be yeah. the next one. What happened is I overslept one day and missed signing up for courses in my spring term. And uh, this is when you still had to like literally go and sign up for your classes. And um, spring of my freshman year and I decided to take an economic course that I could qualify for and it was still open late in the day and I went into that class and it was that magical moment when you sit in a chair and you realize this topic really talks to my brain I remember sitting at the edge of my seat throughout that whole class I knew it I knew within the third time I was in that session that economics is where I wanted to be I liked the connection I liked the way he talked about social political uh institutional Mm -hmm. topics and yet everyday behaviors that humans have so see even as I talk about it I get excited (laughs) so I I knew right away economics was going to be the major I wanted to have and that started the route to honestly looking at banking when I finished college, I wanted to work for IMF or World Bank. That was the dream. Again, I was mm-hmm. going to save the third world countries, and that's what I was going to do. And um, I um, took a temporary job at City to be able to pay for my graduate school. It was a temp job. And um, while I was doing it, this woman who I reported to, a long story, but she um, said to me, oh, I'm moving to the private bank. And why don't you take a permanent job and they actually pay for your degree? And I was desperate not to have more student debt. So I was like, that's a great idea. I went there. While I was doing that, I met my husband. He spoke five languages. I spoke Farsi and English. And we decided or which one was going to travel more and should have the international lifestyle. And so together we decided he was going to travel more and I was going to have the banking job that didn't require outside of and funny enough, joke is on us because in the last 10 years, I was on a plane 10 times more than he was on his job. But, you know, you have these plans. So fast forward, I ended up in banking completely by accident at City. And here I am 37 years later, nine jobs later. And I have honestly stayed here, moved, changed careers and continue to develop um, and feel good every day that I've come to work, which I'm fortunate for. So. Yeah. It sounds like the, you know, perfect serendipitous connection of purpose right. of wanting to make big impact and passion right. of what you found that you loved and right. also the right place uh, where right. that could come through. Um, now, looking back after so many years in that uh, field and that career, uh, would you, what would you say to your younger self that were just starting out uh, considering banking or starting out at City? Is, is that something you would say to do or not do? Look, I, I want to say I loved my job. The ride has not necessarily been easy for 37 mm-hmm. years. Sometimes when I tell stories of earlier years at City, even my daughters who are you know, 26 and 28, look at me as if I'm talking about 200 years ago uh, versus, you know, 35 years ago. Um, So look, this is still a pretty male dominated industry, Mm -hmm. whichever way we want to cut it. Uh, It was even more so uh, when I started. So imagine being a female, being an immigrant, having a strange name, all of those things um, today seem a lot easier to deal with than were monumentally hard. I think if mm-hmm. I could tell my 21-year-old self something, I would say 
that it was hard. It's a hard ride. Be ready that you have to fight it. You have mm-hmm. to be resilient. You have to continue to say to yourself, I can do this. And mm-hmm. um, give yourself the sense that there's a purpose in the end on this. And the mm-hmm. purpose is beyond you, that you're making it easier for the generation after you. I have always said in the last 10 years that I do and I fight the way I do because I don't want my daughters to do it the same way. I want mm-hmm. it to be easier for them and their generation. So that has been a purpose inside of this industry for me the last 37 years. But I also think every time I've achieved, it felt very sweet because it felt mm-hmm. like I just put my flag on that mountain. And it might to others not be, be a big mountain, but for me it was. And because I knew yeah. that it was not an easy one. So I had just done it and climbed a little harder and gone up there a little faster. So Well, um, congratulations for all of that you've achieved, but more importantly, for how many people you've inspired in that process, both within your sphere, but also externally. Uh, I know um, lifting others and paving the way for, especially for younger women, is near and dear to your heart, something that's very meaningful. Um, so I want to ask you a question quite the outside of, uh, you know, um, career questions, but how does it impact you as you look at the situation in Iran today and the rights of women and um, what your 21-year-old self, uh, if she were still living there today, uh, would be going through? What What's... Um, uh, what would you want to share about that or um, yeah. advocate for? First of all, thank you for asking that question. The, um, uh, today there is a um, revolution. I really feel like it's a female-led revolution that is in the process in Iran. It's not final. It's not by any means one, but mm-hmm. it is one that, uh, women started with the concept of not wanting to wear the mandatory cover uh, hijab. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, but it goes a lot deeper than that. It goes to the concept of being an equal in a society mm-hmm. and having mm-hmm. the same equal rights, whether it is in your marriage, in your custody of children, what you can wear, to education you can have, to kind of job you can have and keep on going. And mm-hmm. then the allyship that they got from the men of this generation to fight for it is um, incredible. And I have to tell you, for a while, I had almost parked the fact that I came from that community and that background mm-hmm. because very much I wanted to feel like an American. I'm here. I'm mm-hmm. living here. This is my home. But here's the reality. That is where I came from. That is what I escaped that is what those women are fighting for. So in a strange way, every achievement, everything that I do now to me, hopefully is a signal for all of them that it can be achieved, that you have yes. the right to ask for being equal, the right to be um, heard and um to develop your talents, whatever field you're in, whether you're an artist, whether you're a banker, and whether you're a doctor, uh, whether you want to be a wonderful mother of five kids and raise the most incredible kids in the world. I don't really care what what it is that you decide to do. You just have a right to make that decision. And so many of us take that for granted, right? And that is, um, has become almost a purpose beyond Mm -hmm. my everyday life um, right now. Well, thank you for sharing that, um, you know, inspiration because uh, it goes beyond even, you know, the uh, revolution in Iran to women in so many parts of the world that, um, you know, including in the United States that are fighting for uh, basic human rights and the opportunity to stand up for what they believe in and frankly an opportunity to just live uh with in pursuit of life liberty and happiness right uh um so i'm I'm sure you know your story will help to see that there is a path forward no matter how much struggle there is involved Um, you know you're absolutely right i actually have been on the board of this organization i just 
finished serving on the board. It's called Tahari Justice Center. And its aim is to help women. Um, its major aim is to help women from wherever in the world are um, escaping, um, if you would, gender violence, gender-based mm-hmm. violence, um, and their children. Now, interesting enough, one of the items they got very involved with was forced marriage in the United States. Mm-hmm. And the uh, um, age of marriage in the United States and how many states still had 12 years old as a mm-hmm. acceptable time for ch- for parents to say yes to their child getting married. And they've been fighting that really hard. So, yes, I think that it goes beyond even one country or one. Uh, if we, got, we want to create opportunity, we can do it anywhere we live, even in the most yeah. developed parts of the world. Absolutely. You know, and it also brings up another question, which is, um, you know, there was a time where business leaders adopted a very neutral position on social issues and public policy and things like that. You know, 20 years ago, it was probably a total no-no to comment or get engaged in any way. I don't think that's an option anymore because of how integrated our world is and the power of social media and frankly, the needs and the expectation of the generations that are emerging, that it's important for leaders in positions of power to um, advocate for what's right and to be authentic in their own opinions and views. What's the message you would or advice you would give to your peers uh, Mm -hmm. across the world uh, that are in senior executive roles and positions of power um, to um, uh, take a stance, or whatever topic it might be. You know, um, political correctness uh, was a big item. I would say 15, 20 years ago, everybody was telling you be politically correct. And um, political correctness, honestly, 20 years ago meant don't say much about anything. So just have almost no opinion because that made you neutral. The reality is, if we are authentic to ourselves, we will have opinions. And we mm-hmm. have things that we believe in and stands that we take. And the people who inspire us are the people who are most authentic about mm-hmm. um, what they believe in, what they're fighting for. I always say the leader that I will go to battle for is the one that um, I believe is telling a message that they believe in rather than or mm-hmm. selling a product or selling a service that they themselves believe in. You and I know when someone is authentic and when they're just yeah. telling you what they need yeah. to tell you. And um, I do really believe that especially women um, who get to senior roles, sometimes we have had to work so hard that um we need to remember there's a whole group of people behind us, around us, that we need to lift with us. We need to yeah. give them voice. And that means a little getting a little uncomfortable sometimes to express yeah. opinions, your backgrounds, things that might not have been easy. Um, protect other women in the room if you're sitting in a, in a round table to make sure yeah. they're heard. And that takes guts. And that takes getting uncomfortable. So you just get uncomfortable is what I would say to them. Yeah, that's great advice because uh, without uh, embracing that discomfort, you're not going to show up as unapologetically authentic. And this day and age, that's a cultural thing that is so important to, you know, emerging talent and people that are just starting out their careers. They're choosing to follow leaders that they view as truly authentic, that stand for a powerful purpose that are fighting for a bigger mission. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you want to attract the best talent, you have to be that kind of leader. So. Exactly. I, I absolutely believe it. You know, today um, I was talking to my team, literally my directs this morning about um, DEI initiatives at City where I work, right? And, and I was saying, it's not a quota. It's not a conversation about meeting numbers, even though it's important to measure what you're trying to achieve. But it's really believing that the diversity and the inclusion, sense of belonging you want in your teams helps you be a better bank, better, better team, be better mm-hmm. in front of your clients, mirror your clients more uh, authentically. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't approach it as, oh, I just need to go from one to two, but why is it important to get to two? Because mm-hmm. it actually makes me 
better, has more opinions coming in. I can be more thoughtful about the way I approach decisions because there are more diverse thought processes mm-hmm. that come in. It takes a while to get there, right? Mm-hmm. And as a leader, you have to not only say it, but live it and act in mm-hmm. that same way. And um, uh, those things could be hard. So I give myself those lectures from time yeah. to time too. So. No, but, but I'm so thrilled to hear you uh, speak of that topic because, um, you know, too often there's, uh, you know, it's easy to simply check the box in diversity and pay lip service to it and, and do things that are simply performative. You'll point someone as head of DEI and just say, yeah, exactly. well, I'm done. I've checked the box. I've got someone in that role. Right. But there's not true commitment to what moves the needle for the culture, for the organization, for inclusive leadership. And in the absence of that, you really will not get the results because there's no question about diversity as a fuel for innovation, for growth, for more competitive results. Um, And so that commitment to make it uh, something that is seen as a driver of growth and success and the right thing to do. Um, And we see the difference in the results that are produced by different organizations, but it comes from leaders like yourself that are advocating for that and championing it internally. What if you knew exactly where to focus to go further, faster? Imagine having clarity on your strengths and barriers and the ability to take action and gain unstoppable momentum to deliver results and advance. Take the Beyond Barriers Momentum Metric Quiz to get a personalized report on the five C's, core categories used to measure and accelerate success. Visit gobeyondbarriers.com slash quiz to get your report today. I'm curious about, um, you know, the field that you're in, the industry that you're in is very lead, very competitive. It's the best and the brightest. Um, it's um, harder, hard to get into, but harder to survive and rise up in it. Um, mm-hmm. And in your own journey, uh, especially given the circumstances that you emerged out of, how did you uh, navigate through such a competitive space and authentically stand out and achieve results? I would say uh, sometimes it took a fighting um, desire. uh, Mm -hmm. And um, I always tell a story that for the most important part of my career journey, I needed to get credit trained, which is... Mm -hmm. Uh, was at that point incredibly important to become a private banker in my field. Mm -hmm. To do that, you needed a sponsor. You needed somebody who would agree to um, sign you up and pay, if you would, uh, from their business to do that. And I remember asking for it. I was in graduate school. I was going to Columbia. And my uh, then manager basically said to me, look, I have no question that you can achieve this, that you can go through this, you know, you're smart enough, blah, 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 but you're a private banker. And at that point, it was just the law firm industry with this white shoe law firms. They're never going to really identify with you, Naz Bahid, with a strange name mm-hmm. as their private banker. Mm-hmm. And um, as painful as that sounds right now, and it was at the moment, I actually think it changed how I approached my my um, growth in the business. It was one of those moments that I hadn't even expected that someone was thinking like that about me. Mm-hmm. And realizing that is what I was up against um, almost gave me a chance to say to myself, all right, so you have to fight for this. You have to yeah. get it. And I remember looking at him and saying to him, you know, I think you're wrong. I'm going to go around you. And guess what? I believe one day you're going to work for me. And I didn't know if that was going to happen. It was just this fight, this desire to prove him wrong that started it. Mm -hmm. In reality, I didn't live my rest of my 15 year, 20 years to prove him wrong. I went in to prove that Nas Vahid, an immigrant with a strange name, could be a great private banker. And these white shoe law firms not only would accept me as their private banker, but want to go out of their way to work with me as their banker. That became a desire to build that mm-hmm. inside of me. And for that, I had to be smart, get educated, know my material, never uh, go in just 
guessing what I'm going to say to a client. Mm-hmm. So I always had to try harder, be more prepared, but none of those were bad. It actually trained mm-hmm. my brain in a different way. And as a result of which, as I moved from one job to another, I felt that every job I re- received, I shouldn't take the fact that I'm in it as I have earned it, but that now mm-hmm. I need to earn it and show people mm-hmm. how I'm really good at it. And it mm-hmm. uh, sounds a little strange, right? But it is, it's that driving force that want to outperform yourself. It's not a competition mm-hmm. with anybody else, but to prove mm-hmm. that you are even better than they would assume that you are. Um, mm-hmm. now, why is that important? I think it's important because it's not just a message about Nas Fahid, it's about anybody else with a strange name from any part of the world looking foreign that came in, entered the bank as a female and wanted to achieve. Today, we see us hiring more and more females and we see that they actually do just as well and they work as hard and whether is a male or female, their foreign name doesn't come in the way of anybody wanting to do um, work with them or want them to achieve. It took 30 years to get to that point. And I'm not saying is in New York might be an easier place to fight that mm-hmm. battle than other places, but it is something that you build. And, you know, it, it's almost tells me that we, if we authentically go after diversity of thought and population, we're going to achieve that authentic result that we want in our businesses too. So that has been what's driving me as well. Wow, that's uh, a lot of fire in the belly to, you know, take that moment and really transform it into something that drove you to achieve results and, and prove it to yourself and keep elevating your own standards. Um, it's interesting you said that every position was not like you had earned it, but the opportunity to then show, you know, earn it after that. It's almost like instead of it being like winning the race, you were actually putting yourself at the start line from that point and raising the exactly. bar for yourself. Yeah, that's a exactly. powerful uh, visual in that. Um, I want to share something that we hear a lot from mid-career women um, in the Beyond Bears Accelerator. Um, we have worked with hundreds of thousands of women around the world um, across different industries uh, and particularly focus on mid-career because that's where the broken rung is. That's where the most drop-off mm-hmm. is. And and um, the one question that they're asked at the beginning of their journey in the program is what do you want to shed and leave behind? And we get the same answer every single time, no matter where they come from, who they are, what industry they work for. And the answer is (laughs) self-doubt. Every single time, it's the same thing. I want to shed self-doubt. And these are high-achieving, high-performing women, (laughs) you know, that are extremely hardworking and driven. And yet the common challenge is self-doubt. You just described a scenario where, you know, you were, your potential was questioned because of your profile and your name and all of that. How did you overcome self-doubt? And, you know, uh, what has worked for you? And what advice would you give to so many people that are limiting raising their hand for that next big opportunity or hesitating to ask for more or go after it because they're questioning whether they can? You know, it's... uh if I had to look at back at what made me make that decision and ask for it and drive, um, frankly, was that I had parents coming to the United States and I wanted them to have a great life and I felt responsible for that happen. I needed to make a certain professional, um, uh, you know, growth happen for mm-hmm. me for me to help them. So it was driven by a purpose that went very much personal to me. But I will tell you something. Uh, that imposter syndrome and the feeling that even um, uh, am I good enough? Should I raise my hand for the next job is never goes away. You just have to make the voice in your head that says I'm good enough louder. Right. And, Mm -hmm. um, and I do believe that every time you put yourself up for that next job, next promotion, next opportunity, whether it's just serving in a board or whatever it is that you desire, you're aiming for, 
even if you don't get it, it's sending a message that I belong in this circle. I belong Mm -hmm. in this job. I am worthy of it. So I always tell people, if you truly self, you're doubting your worth, step in there and test your metal, right? Um, We just, there was an opportunity to run for the head of belt at City um, just in the last two, three months. Uh, Ultimately, the person who was picked, I would have picked that person. Mm-hmm. And yet I wasn't running for that job, right? But qualifications, now that I look back, I see why that person was chosen. But the reality was that I had an option to sit back and say, well, I might not get picked or raise my hand and say, I should be given a chance. And by doing so, elevate the team that's behind me. And that's what I chose. Mm-hmm. Every time you elevate yourself, you elevate somebody behind you as well. So mm-hmm. don't think about yourself. Think that the person that's behind me, if I get up, they will go up too. Mm-hmm. You know, they say in a financial industry, an average multiplier of a promotion is something like 16 times, right? So wow. that you get promoted, somebody gets promoted, somebody, and it t- turns to have that multiplier effect. And if you think of it not about you, but mm-hmm. the multiplier effects behind you, sometimes that fear or self-doubt goes away. Because when you look at the person behind you, you say, you oh, absolutely, they deserve the opportunity to sit in my job. So why wouldn't I deserve the opportunity to move forward? That mm-hmm. is the message I continuously try to uh, give everyone around me and ask them to try um, and also get educated for what they want. If you need something, get the skills you need to get to that next job. Um, not it, Nothing in my world has ever been because I deserve it. I work hard. I, I try and then I achieve it. And then I prove, as I mentioned to you, that yeah. I deserve the fact to be in that seat. So, right. Well, I think that's, uh, you know, your advice uh, of hand raising and putting yourself um, in the ring, if you will, uh, is also very actionable because part of what you're saying is elevate yourself to the next level peer group because that shifts where you believe you belong. But if you don't even do that, you won't believe you belong at that next rung and you'll never know. Uh, where the boundaries lie. So it's and, get real and, evidence right. of exactly what yeah, and others who look at you say that she doesn't think she belongs, right? right. That is yeah. a um, sort of silent message that you're sending out too. And that is really going to work against you all of your career. And I have seen too often, honestly, women do that or be at the table and be the quietest person on the table. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, the fact that a lot of times we'll say something and a man will say the same thing and they're heard louder. It's an absolute truth. It happens mm-hmm. all the time. But, you know, I, I really feel that as women, then we need to correct that. So if somebody yeah. does that, then I want to be the voice. This is well, I'm sorry. Jane just said, yeah. you know, John didn't say it. Jane said it and make sure the room hears it. So I, I do feel like somebody said it's a Wolfgang of women having to, <laughs> provide support for each other. I do think that is to mid-level or not. We have to do that for each other. Yeah, that's, uh, um, I think those microaggressions, unless they're called out, right. they con- they continue to eat away at yourself. You know, the other yes. person who said that or repeated or took credit for something that was your idea doesn't even remember it. Yes. Um, but if you don't address that issue right then, uh, it's going to chip away at your own confidence and self-esteem. Right. And I think that's why, regardless of the outcome, it's so important to call that out. Um, what, um, you know, uh, given sort of the scope and scale and complexity of everything you run and you're responsible for, um, how have you dealt with setbacks and failures? Because I imagine that when you've encountered that, it may have also been uh, fairly public. Um, in, mm-hmm. in terms of the visibility. When you have big positions, you're also on a pedestal where everyone can mm-hmm. see the good, the bad, and the ugly. Mm-hmm. So um, what? how do you deal with that? And, and how should one think about it? Look, I, 
I think failure is important to also understand, um, one, what you need to improve on and uh, to get to the next level rather than yeah. uh, lose the fight, right? Or lose yeah. the opportunity. So whenever there's been setbacks, I have had the ability, I think, and I have become better at it as I've gotten older, to sit mm -hmm. back and say to myself, why did I lose this opportunity? And mm -hmm. what is it that I could do better next time something like this happens? If it's a product I want to develop and I am you know, having a hard time sitting back and saying to myself, how would I approach it differently so I would get a different outcome? Now, it is really important, and I have to tell you, I have learned this, to take feedback as with positive intent rather than assume mm -hmm. that feedback given to you is to put you down or somehow mm -hmm. diminish your... Um, and you have to... Uh, Listen to feedback. Not everything people say about you is correct, but you have mm -hmm. to have the ability to hear it. Sort of mm -hmm. sit down and say back to yourself, what about this was correct? What was it? And how mm -hmm. am I going to approach it the next time differently? Um, it wasn't always easy for me to do that. And I think when you mm -hmm. come from a fighting a background yeah. that I have to actually get everything and go and um, really try very hard. Sometimes you just think other people are wrong and they're not giving me a message. You just don't know how good I am. So sometimes yeah. it's hearing that feedback and being able to change the course of the way you do it is really important. But in some strange way, it um, all comes from being resilient and um, being able to sort of wipe the... Um, the disappointment and then mm -hmm. step up. Easier said than done, but I, I give myself low lectures um, about how I should do it. I have learned to meditate a lot more to be able mm -hmm. to sit down and think about a situation. Um, I, I pray. I, I just think all of those things actually help me connect with a deeper part of myself mm -hmm. that sometimes we think it's not professional to say or it's not, but that's my authentic self. And that is what right. makes me get grounded and be able to yeah. move forward. Sorry, a very long answer to your question, but. Yeah, but that's a powerful daily practice of, you right. know, um, uh, learning to be open to continuous growth, but also right. using good judgment to know what to respond to and what to take and what not to take and uh, right. adapt that into that. Um, you know, the banking business is very much a relationship business. Um, and uh, you described how early on, you know, you were different from the, the profile of the clients you were mm -hmm. uh, tasked to serve and support. How, uh, what do you think is the key to building powerful and lasting relationships, particularly in the context of um, people that you may not relate to? And, and the reason I ask this is, again, going back to the mid-career women that um, need to build powerful professional networks, whether it's looking for mentors and sponsors or whether it's expanding and, you know, for client purposes – there's a level of fear and hesitation around, well, that person's so senior, what could I possibly say to them? I don't know how I'm going to get their attention. Or if I did get an opportunity, um, I don't know how to present myself or create a meaningful relationship. What has worked for you? And especially looking back over the years, um, what's the key? I think I've always tried to serve some purpose for the person whose help I've been seeking mm. Right. Um, so I have tried to figure out what makes the person excited about their situation. For example, my first woman that I look at as a real mentor in my um, career, I had to sit back and ask her about the steps she took when she had children. She actually stepped away from the role she was, went to a part-time position in the bank. And then came back. Um, and how did that impact her? And how did she feel about that? And um, became a little bit vulnerable myself to explain those fears I was feeling as a mother. Mm -hmm. So that she was open in talking to me about it. And 
and also saying, how can I help you make it easier for you now that you're in that position to teach me how to do it differently? How can I get your message out? And, you know, Mm -hmm. I have now realized that uh, there's a circle. We all feel that the people who's more senior hasn't gone through the same fears, especially women, minorities. I promise you they have. The same is true with clients. You know, sometimes being my most authentic self, literally saying to somebody, this is really hard for me to do. I don't identify with your background, but I need to get to know you. Just give me a chance to get who you are and ask me a little bit about my background. I have offered to listen to people differently. I remember one time I went to, um, I took a banker, a mid-level banker, to affirm that I was um, uh, the banker for, and this person was taking over. And at the risk of not being politically correct, the firm looked at it and said, and looked at the person, uh, she was a black woman, and said, I'm not sure my partners will identify with so-and-so. And I said, okay, give her three months. If in three months she doesn't prove to you that she's the best banker you've ever had, then you and I can have a conversation. Don't immediately start an argument about why they're right or they're wrong. Mm -hmm. I have to tell you that person over the last 10 years must have said to me 10 times that that was the best banker that you have could have possibly assigned it. But I also made him remember that you questioned this person, Mm -hmm. right? And now you have turned this around. And guess what? That woman who then became a manager had the same thing repeated with other people that she was taking in front of people. And she used that same story as to create, I maybe, but let's give this person a chance. And if in three months, six months, they don't believe it, mm-hmm. um, take a step and um, we will we'll have a conversation. Sometimes we want to immediately argue about the thing that we feel. But I have learned in banking, especially as become a manager, sit back, tell people to give you a chance to prove them different. And then over time, honestly, you can. Because if the person is good, if you believe in yourself, your brain, your ability, you will. Like, there's no doubt that you will. But you just got to not immediately think they're wrong, I'm right at the moment. But this story also highlights the level of unconscious bias that exists um, that particularly for women and minorities and even more so for women of color, how you have to work twice as hard to get half as far. And, you know, the burden of proving yourself despite all your ambition and abilities actually on yourself, even though it's the other person that may have a bias that is completely unfair and misplaced. Um, Nikki, I would I would be lying if I said that's not the case. That we don't yeah. have a harder. Um, yeah, and the reality is we do. I just want to make it easier for the next generation to have yeah. less of it, and the next generation yeah. to have less of it. But we do, right? right. Um, I also will tell you, I have learned that men can be the best allies in these situations, and. Um, you won't believe how many times when you, I have actually said to somebody, how would you feel if I was your child? Mm. My daughter was your child. How would you feel about that? And then mm-hmm. it actually makes them feel differently. I have created a diversity committee and I asked this um, colleague of mine, why aren't you showing up to it? And he looked at me and said, well, look, look at me. I'm like as white male as you could possibly, middle-aged white male as I could possibly get. I said, you have three daughters, don't you? And, mm-hmm. and I said, and you think they have it as easy as you have it or their brother does? And he said, no, I don't. I said, that's why you need to be in the diversity committee. Mm-hmm. And frankly, he, you know, once he started entering he became one of the most pronounced individuals in terms of hiring more diverse yeah. people inside of it. Yeah. So that's the reality of where we are today too. Yeah. It's, it's finding that human connection for people to right. relate to something as opposed to saying, this doesn't apply to me. It's not my exactly. problem. Exactly. Okay. So let's uh, wrap up with our lightning round questions. Sure. Uh, 
So um, I'm going to ask you five questions and I'd uh, love to hear your responses to them. Uh, number one, what book has greatly influenced mm-hmm. you? Uh, Kite Runner. Uh, I love that book. Too. It just made me feel really different about it. So. Yeah. What is your favorite inspiring quote? Um, my Angela, the quote is actually in front of me, but um, it, it is, uh, people forget what you said. People forget what you did. People will never forget how you made them feel. So, Indeed. It's uh, one of the most powerful things for every leader to remember. Uh, what is one word that you would use to describe yourself? Uh, resilient. What is uh, one change, uh, whether it's a habit or behavior or something that you implemented that made your life better? Uh, sit on the email overnight when I'm really angry before I send <laughs> That's a really practical one. And I think we've all been yeah. in that situation, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, and then finally... Imagine you're on stage or, you know, you're about to walk onto stage. What power song would you want playing? Um, Do you know Fight Song? It's actually called Fight Song. And um, I just identify with the message in it. Um, Not because it's about fight, because it's not about that. It's just sensing yourself and being all right with yourself. That's the one. Well, you are definitely a warrior uh, and a fighter, and it's such an inspiring story. So thank you for being totally authentic and sharing your message of hope and inspiration for everyone. Uh, I think you provided very actionable strategies and also showed that with tenacity and with hard work and with determination, you can truly go beyond barriers. So thank you for being on the show, Naz. It was an absolute Thanks for having me, Nikki. I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Beyond Barriers podcast. There are thousands of podcasts out there, and we are so grateful that you've chosen to listen to ours. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and tell a friend, or share what you've learned on LinkedIn and tag us. We love hearing from our audience. Visit us at gobeyondbarriers.com, where you can subscribe and find show notes, links, and the best way to connect with our guests.